Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Well, good morning. My name is Liz, and I'm one of the <laughs> lead pastors here at Life. Um, and we are continuing our series in the book of James. Now, the book of James is a short little book in the New Testament. Guys, it's only five chapters long. So you can read through it in one sitting, you know? It's not that long. I would encourage you to like just continue kind of like picking up the book of James and reading it as we're in this series because there's so much like richness that's in there. And um, it's, been, it's been really good. So I'm excited to continue this series. Um, imagine this little story with me quickly. A man and his son are driving in a car one day and they get into a fatal accident. The man is killed instantly. The boy is knocked unconscious. He's still alive and he's rushed to the hospital um, for immediate surgery. The doctor enters the emergency room, looks at the boy, and says, I can't operate on this boy. He is my son. Wait. Like, what's happening? Do you under... You're like, I don't follow the story, right? Are you confused a little bit? Okay, here's the kicker. The doctor is the boy's mother. Oh, shock and awe, okay? <laughs> um, if... If you're like me, I did not think of that, right? It, this story tricked me, right? Because our brains have these natural biases, right? Where we are like going to the most quick and easiest thing in our brain. Our brain likes to take the shortest route. It's kind of lazy at times, right? Um, and we make assumptions about people. We put them in categories, um, you know, based on their image or their social status, their age, other characteristics. And then we reach for the easiest option. Our brain's like, yep, the doctor's a man. So this story doesn't make sense, right? And uh, we, we make misjudgments about people. That's what the, the story is supposed to illustrate. And as Christians... Judgment is a big deal. And James is going to talk about that our standard is love. Our standard is not judgment. We're going to be talking about something this morning that we don't really talk about that much. And it is the sin of favoritism. The sin of favoritism. Basically, what that means is that we discriminate against another person um, and we preference another person or a group of people over another, right? We might show honor to one person over another. And we all do it. We all do it. It's, it's, we have these biases, these natural things that just rise up in us that, that judge people or don't see people because of the way they dress, the color of their skin, their social economic status, whatever it is, we have these kind of natural reactions. And we must look honestly at those things and understand that it is a sin to treat people differently based on those assumptions. And our Heavenly Father, He treats us all the same. The gospel is the, the great uh, level playing field where we're all invited in. We all 
belong. We all become the children of God. So this morning we're kind of on this journey towards learning what James has to tell us about unbiased love. So we're going to read chapter 2, 1 through 13. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It is going to be on the screen, um, so you can follow along with me. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another one who comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as a person who's broken, who has broken all of God's law. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So there's a lot in there, and we're going to kind of just talk through some of it this morning. But what James does overall is continues to shift our belief into action. He says, faith, real faith, is seen by what you do. Your actions matter. You can't just believe God is loving and, and believe that he loves all people. You actually have to do it with your life. Otherwise, we have these divided motives, right? We have like one foot in the world and one foot in with God. You know, my, does, do any of you like um, sour candy? Like, that's like a go-to candy for you. Okay, a few of you. You like sour candy? <laughs> um, when I go on uh, like a car trip or anything, do any of you go to the gas station and stock up on a little candy at the gas station first, maybe a drink or something like that? Okay, I really like to get Twizzlers or licorice, right? Actually, um, uh, I... More than licorice, I like red vines, but they're hard to find sometimes. Anybody like red vines? Have any fans? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so anyways, I, that's my favorite go-to candy. But my kids really like sour candy, right? They really like it. And I think sour candy is like one of those 
beautiful things in childhood that only stay in childhood, <laughs> where like you just can't tolerate the same thing as an adult that you could as a child, you know, like roller coasters and movement and all that kind of stuff. Okay, sour candy is in this category for me, where now as an adult, like it's, it's hard for me. I can have like two sour candies at a time and then I like have to take a break, <laughs> like a breathing break to like recuperate and then like have more sour candy. Um, and I, this past weekend, I drove up to Chicago to drop my daughter off at camp, and I said, you know what, I'll just buy one thing for us to share. I won't buy my licorice and her sour candy, I'll buy one thing, we'll share it. And that was a mistake, because I could eat two candies at a time, and she's back there just like pounding the bag, right? And it wasn't just Ellie. I picked Karis up from gymnastics the next day. She's back there pounding the bag. She's like, I could eat this whole bag. I was like, she's one after the other, right? No breaks. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm not doing that again, right? It is red vines for me and sour candy for you. <laughs> um, but I think that James is kind of like a sour punch, right? It's like you put that candy in your mouth and if you even think about it, you can feel that salivation behind your, you know, if, I, if I'm talking about sour candy, you can feel it, right? It's like James kind of gives us those like little sour punches of like conviction, of things that we're kind of not paying attention to in our life. He says, if we claim faith, if we call ourselves Christians, if we are saying, hey, I'm following God's way of life, then we need to live up to that calling. And he just, he shows it to us, one after the other. He says, you can't have divided loyalty. You can't be half in the world and half with God. You have to be all in. They're, they're incompatible ways of living. He says, we need to pay attention to how we speak and act and live like Jesus. We're actually called to live out the gospel story. You know, the gospel story isn't just something that we receive as grace and mercy, but it's something we live out as grace and mercy. So our lives reflect who Jesus is. We, we live out the sufferings of Christ. We live out the love of Christ. We live out the forgiveness, the welcome of Christ. We live out the freedom and the victory of Christ. And, and the sour punch this morning from James that we kind of like have to take in with our senses a little bit is the sin of favoritism. Now, favoritism comes from this Greek word that I, I find fascinating. It means to receive the face. Receive the face. And it means making judgments about someone's, you know, external uh, characteristics. And we do this in the world, right? Our world is image-obsessed, right? We all want to curate our image so we show up in just the right way. And James says that attitude's wrong. It's a sinful attitude. It's a wrong heart posture. We are to receive people's faces like Jesus did. We are to receive each other as one made in the image of God, worthy and valued. And he says, imagine this. Imagine someone comes in to your church, 
and they're distinguished for some reason. You know, maybe you can tell right away by how they're dressed, or maybe they're just well-known. I think in our culture, you know, like, oh, that person's well-known. You know, they're successful. You know, um, for some reason, something's distinguished about them. And so let's imagine how we might act. We might, you know, make it a point to really amp up our hospitality as soon as we see them, like, coming from the parking lot. You know, you're like, Oh, yeah, I got to be on my A game and say hi to this person. Um, you know, you might make sure that they know where they're going, where the bathrooms are, where the donuts are. Um, you might invite them like, hey, you can sit near me or up to it with a good seat. James is saying we might go out of our way to feel, make them feel comfortable and honored. We might engage them in conversation. Maybe we might even, in, you know, um, introduce them to somebody else. We're doing a lot to pave the way of honor towards them. And he says, imagine the opposite. Imagine a homeless person walks into your gathering. And this actually has happened to us in our old location. Um, But maybe, you know, you don't amp up your hospitality. You're not so excited to see them because you kind of kind of want to, you know, minimize them, sit them in the back, in the corner, maybe they don't um, smell so good, maybe they smell like alcohol, or you can tell they haven't showered. Um, Maybe, you know, you don't go out of your way to sit down and have a donut with them and engage them in conversation. Maybe you think like, "Mm, I don't really want to offer to pray for them or put my hand on them. Like, there's all those barriers that come up because of their external characteristics. And James says, this is an evil way to act. You have evil motives. That's the sting. That's that, that, that sour punch. Let's personalize it a little bit. Like, think about where you show up during your week, in your workplace or at your home or running errands around town or even in this church body. Think about a space that you exist in, right, where there's people, there's community, there's different types of people. And imagine somebody, you know, walking in to your house or the door into the store, into these doors. Just picture somebody. And what do you notice about them? You know, maybe you notice their age and you're like, "Mm, they're kind of outdated and boring. I don't really want to talk to them. Or maybe the opposite, they're young and eccentric and, mm. maybe you Maybe you already know something about their political beliefs or their stance on something, right? And it, it, it rubs you the wrong way. Maybe you do notice how they're dressed. Maybe you know something about their personality. They're a little bit awkward to be around. It's harder for you to engage in conversation. Or maybe they're so loud and boisterous, you're annoyed by them. Maybe there's just something else about their demographics that that comes to mind, consciously, you know, or subconsciously. But notice those kind of judgments that rise up in you, you know, those things that, if you were honest with yourself, those, they're there. And these kind of judgments that rise up in us, they can be uh, used in our behavior to dismiss people, to kind of 
um, not leave space for them to kind of hurry up through the interaction so that you can just like move on to the next person that is easier for you to interact with. And James tells us that we're called to something different. We're called to this thing called the royal law of love. Now, James was a a Jewish person, okay? If you were here for the first week of James, he's actually Jesus' half-brother, okay? So he is thoroughly Jewish. And people think he didn't actually become a Christian. He didn't actually believe in who Jesus was until after he was resurrected, okay? James lived with Jesus his whole life and was like, man, you're not the person you say you are. You're just not it. But now he's like, Guys, I give my life to this. This is actually, Jesus is who he says he is. And so he, he knows the whole Old Testament law really well. And he kind of summarizes Jesus' teachings from like the Sermon on the Mount when he's like, the whole law can be summed up as love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So the royal law to him, he is saying, yes, Jesus sums it up. The whole law that I've known my whole life, my whole culture, Jesus sums it up as the royal law of love. Love is the highest standard. If we're not loving, then what's the rest of it? Love is the standard that's going to keep everything else functioning. And so he applies this royal law of love to lots of our lives, but specifically how we treat people right now. And he's saying, so consider how Jesus lives out the royal law of love. I mean, we have story after story after story of how Jesus did not favor one person over the other, right? And it's challenging. It's challenging to us. So there's this story about Jesus and Zacchaeus. And it's from Luke 19, 1 through 7. I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich, and he wanted to look at Jesus, but he's too short to see over the crowd. So he climbs up into this tree, and he's looking for Jesus as he comes through the street and passes by. And then as Jesus is coming through, he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down quick. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus is shocked, and he, and he climbs down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased, because he had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Now, Zacchaeus is a, a hated uh, tax collector, right? So he's like a hated criminal in society. He is not liked. And he's profiting off of the poor, Um, and stealing from others, and people don't want to engage with him. They dismiss him. They don't want anything to do with him. He's probably trash to some people, you know? He knows he's not welcomed, and he's short. He's odd, right? He can't even see, so he climbs up in this tree, and he's trying to get a look at Jesus, and Jesus has, you know, he's walking through the town. He has so many more honorable people to see and meet than Zacchaeus. But he stops, he notices Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, 
He makes himself available to this man. He says, come down. Come out of hiding from where you're at. I want to interact with you. In fact, I, I want to eat with you at your home. That's even a step further. Think of the person that you were thinking about earlier that's like, it's hard. It's a little bit hard. Now imagine eating with that person, right? That's a, that's a more intimate relational setting. Jesus is okay with the interruption, the disruption of his life. Jesus draws near to this man. And you know what? His embrace of this man changes Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus changes his life, turns his life around and says, you know what? From this day forward, I'm no longer going to exploit the poor. I'm going to give them back their money. I'm going to turn my life around. And his uh, experience of acceptance and love changes, changes it. And Jesus calls us to this type of action, to speak and act with love. Not to worry about keeping up our image management. We are not going to be a church that keeps up with image management. That's exhausting. But I will tell you, it, it's a temptation. It's a temptation to try to manage our image as people, as a church, as a body. There's, there's a real temptation to manage our image. It's always there on social media, right? Always there. I just posted how we went to Honey Rock and we had this great day camping. But what you don't see is like the struggles behind the scene, right? The terrible ride home that we're like trying to reconsider our family vacation because like the struggles are so real. You don't see that, but I'll tell you about it because I'm not trying to manage my image. I mean, there's temptation to. But being a pastor is like the first line that says like, Man, you have sin, and then you also have to get up here and talk about what God says, okay? The two are hard. The two are hard. And so I will tell you, I'll be the first to tell you that I'm just a regular person trying to follow Jesus and love Jesus along with you. We're not going to manage our image, but we are going to love and accept people here. And it's messy, guys. It's messy. It doesn't make us a, a perfect, like, looking church. It's going to be messy. But James tells us, you know, one day we're going to stand before God. There's going to be a judgment day. And for us as Christians, we don't have to fear the judgment day because our salvation is secured But we're still going to have this moment with Jesus where, like, our hidden motives, what's in our heart, is going to be known, fully known between the two of us. And I don't exactly know what that looks like, <laughs> but it's going to happen. And what James is saying is that if you act with mercy, if your hidden motives are in check and you say, Jesus, I've got this wrong. I, I don't feel this way towards this person, but please help me act with mercy towards this person. 
if you choose Jesus' way and don't choose the sin of favoritism, Jesus is somehow going to act merciful to you in that interaction on Judgment Day. It doesn't mean he's going to condemn you to hell on Judgment Day. I said your salvation is secure. But there's going to be some kind of interaction where you will receive the, the, the heart posture that you give towards others. It's kind of mysterious. And I don't have all the answers, but that's what James is referencing. That's what he's talking about. So it isn't a free pass to just act however we want, this, this um, freedom that we have in the new covenant. He's saying, you still have to act with the, law, the royal law of love. When we receive Jesus, the, we receive this freedom because we get a new heart and a new spirit. And so now, following Jesus isn't just like, here's all the rules and the things you have to follow like the Jews were doing. He's saying, I give you a new heart and a new spirit. And so it's it's your heart's desire to want to follow me. It actually pleases you when we are aligned and you are doing my will. That's the, that's the freedom in following Jesus. That's the beauty in following Jesus. But don't use that freedom as just a dismissal of paying attention to your behavior and how you can kind of get caught up in evil motives. When you are there, see it as a sour punch check to reel it back, get back on track, get back aligned with your heart pleasing and loving Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the one good thing about the sour candy is my, my, uh, my <laughs> this was uh, my strategy to sour candy, to making it through a few more sour candies on my trip, was instead of chewing through it right away, if I just put it in my mouth, and just like let the sour dissolve, it turns sweet quicker, <laughs> okay? And then I can tolerate the sweet candy because that's really just what I want to go to is the sweet candy from the start. Forget the sugary, sour, you know, granules all around it. I just want the sweet stuff, right? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just have to let it prick our heart, check us and say, okay, Holy Spirit, this, this is where I'm not aligned with you, and then get back to the sweet freedom of following Jesus. Because it is, it's freedom when our hearts and our actions are oriented towards him. So I'm just going to finish by reading this passage from Romans, because I think Paul does this great job of summing up what we just read in James. And he does it in Romans 13, 8 through 14. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation, which is um, a little bit more paraphrased. But I just want you to take this in as we close. Don't owe anything to anyone except your outstanding debt to continually love one another. For the one who learns to love has fulfilled every requirement of the law. For the commands... Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and every other commandment can be summed up in these words. Love and value others the same way you love and value yourself. Love makes it impossible to harm another, so love fulfills all the law requires. To live like this is all the more urgent, for time is running out, and you know it is a it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up, for our full salvation is nearer now 
than when we first believed. Night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns, so we must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes. And once and for all, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. We must live honorably surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, not in promiscuity and sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others. Instead, fully immerse yourself into the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, and don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. That's good. Okay, I'll invite the band up. So here's my call to action. Make space. You know, you think of this story from Zacchaeus. Jesus made space. Ask Holy Spirit, hey, highlight someone that you want me to receive their face in a new way. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Highlight that person. And then show hospitality. This is how you combat favoritism, right? You, you take a step towards welcoming them like Jesus. Show hospitality. Maybe you just engage them in conversation. Shoot them a text. Eat with them. Do something that extends the hospitality and welcome of Jesus, that you're receiving their face as Jesus does. So let's pray. Jesus, you have received our face a hundred percent and you and you give us a new heart and a new spirit to follow you and you receive our face fully no matter what we have done no matter what we continue to do our failures our flaws our sin your grace and mercy are abundant so fill us up, Lord, with the experience and reality of you this morning. God, we need you. We are needy before you. And actually, that's the best posture to be in, is needy before you. So we come and we worship you this morning with all of who we are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We just take a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit before we leave. I want us to just think of that, that phrase, the Father's arms are open wide. So if you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I need to confess a little bit, just tell Jesus, tell him where you fall short. And then on, on the flip side, you know, as I, w I know, you guys are confused. Just hold on one second. It'll all make sense in just a second. <laughs> I just wanted to be able to say this. On the flip side of favoritism, if you have experienced the hurt of not being honored because you didn't fit in the box, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened in the Lord's body. And we love you. So also, you can receive his healing 
of that. Because what you've experienced is wrong. And it comes from evil motives. And it is not a representation of Jesus and his church. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org. Oh, hey, you're still here. You're like one of my favorite people. The kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you, and if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here, and if not here, go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right, thanks for listening. See you later.